hi, hello. I hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Harmony Miller, and I'm your host here on What the Actual F. If you're new here, this is a podcast where I like to tell about true crime, like cases that I find interesting or some that are currently going on. I talk about paranormal things and just sort of the darker side of life. Even some conspiracy theories are in there. So today is another true crime episode. There are two cases I'm going to be telling you guys about, and to me, I feel like they are connected, but I, not in the aspect of, you know, anyone in the cases are, like, related in any sort of way, just they kind of have the same goings-abouts, <laughs> I think, in, a, in an odd, in an odd way. People disappear, and that's, that's about the only connection. But that's why this is they're on this podcast together today. So they've made the cut for me to tell you today. This is going to be probably a bit of a longer episode. I tried to get this as condensed as I could, but these cases, there's a lot. There's a lot, and they're both absolutely just fucking bananas. So be prepared for that. Now, both of these cases I'm going to tell you about today are very recent and you've probably heard of both of them, if not one of them. So this first one I'm going to tell you about, we are going to talk about a media attention-seeking Bolingbrook, Illinois police sergeant by the name of Drew Peterson. Now, there is a lot in this case, and it is set over several years. With all that, I'm gonna start telling you about the Drew Peterson case. Drew was born January 5th, 1954, in Bolingbrook, Illinois. The oldest of three kids, he was brought up in a pretty strict household as his father was a Marine. When Drew was 17, he got a pilot's license, which was actually pretty expensive, but his parents didn't really care. They were just like, we're gonna make sure he gets it and maybe he can use it in the service which he did go into the military, but he did not use his pilot's license. He started um, as a MP and stayed an MP from 1974 to 1976 and was dishonorably discharged. Now, before he went into the service, he actually started dating a woman by the name of Carol Brown, who was his high school sweetheart, and they ended up getting married in 1974, when she was only 17 and he was only 20. Once he was discharged from the service, they went back to Bolingbrook, where Drew became a cop. Carol and Drew then had two children together, and in 1978, Drew became an undercover cop, you know, a narc. And in 1980, Carol then filed for divorce due to Drew having an affair. Yeah, you guys are going to learn the kind of man that Drew Peterson is real fucking fast. Drew would actually brag to people stating how easy it was for him to get girls because he's a fucking cop. And, well, obviously Carol, she didn't fucking know. She didn't want any of that shit. So Carol got custody and Drew got visitation and boom, that ends his first marriage. We have three more to go. 
1981, Drew met Kyle Perry, who was seven years older than as she was only 20. I'm trying to figure out how I wrote this. Like, I write notes to tell you guys these cases, and sometimes I don't put them in a great form. I just have to assume what I meant days ago. You know, it's fun trying to understand past self. But, so, he was seven years older than Kyle. There we go. She was only 20. He was 27. Even though she was underage at the time, I guess the consent age, I'm not positive, but it did say she was underage. He, for, I'm sorry, yeah, it was for her going into bars. So because she was under 21, he could still get her into bars, you know, doing just real cop fucking shit there, dude. Real cop shit. Like, what? You're really getting her into bars. Okay, cool, whatever. But I'm sure she loved that. So Drew always wanted to know Kyle's every move while they were dating. He would follow her. He would drive by her house just to make sure that she was never lying to him. And even interrogating her about all that she would do when they weren't together. This guy sounds real fucking... Real fantastic. After a few months, Kyle didn't want to be with that, though, anymore. You know, she was she was done with it. She didn't want it. Well, guess what? Just let to take a guess. Yeah. Drew didn't handle that very well. I'll tell you that right now. Kyle called the police, who, of course, were his friends. So nothing happened. But Drew and Kyle did end up in court. Him and his police buddies had basically been writing her a bunch of parking tickets. So that's where we're at, is basically when they split up, Drew didn't, he did, he just did not take it. He didn't, he wasn't okay with it. So he ended up sending his cop buddies to put these parking tickets on her car. But they didn't actually put them on her car. They would write them out, put them in the system, And I was like, for him to get revenge on her because, you know, she didn't want him. She didn't want to handle the crazy that he had to offer. His brand was not what she accepted. Sorry, she only wanted designer crazy. And he made sure that, you know, they never left these tickets. So a warrant ended up being put out for her arrest. And it it did get dropped and everything once they got to court. But they did end up going to court. All because he did not handle this breakup very well. So shortly after all of this, Drew met 23-year-old Vicki Connolly. Drew liked her, like, right away, but there was a small problem. She was still married. But however, the process of a divorce was going on at the time in her life. But due to that and everything she had gone through, she just, she didn't go for Drew right away, you know, and... She told him it was not a good time for her at that moment with everything in her life. But Drew, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. He wouldn't accept that. And he hounded her to go out with him over and over, just constant, wouldn't relent. So eventually, Vicky was like, all right, fine, let's, let's do this. And apparently she liked him because as soon as her divorce became final, Drew and Vicky were married in 1982. They were actually very, very happy at first, but as we all have learned, Drew's just a fucking shitty dude. Like, he's he's not the best. So he ended up getting into trouble at his department, you know, in 
undercover, whatever, narco, I don't know what the department is, but, you know, the, the people um, at the police department. He was actually fired from his unit that he was doing this undercover stuff after being accused of taking bribes along with actually dealing out the drugs that he was supposed to be seizing. So he ended up being demoted, and his demotion was down to patrol. With this demotion also came a pretty big pay cut, meaning Drew and Vicky would have to downsize their home. But before all of this happened and things truly fell apart for them, they did purchase a bar together called Suds Pub, which they held onto through all of this downsizing and the pay cut, you know, him being fired. They held onto that real tight. Drew didn't handle this demotion well and became even, like he, apparently he had been abusive before this. I'm I'm just stating I forgot to mention that. So he had been abusive before this happened, just kind of controlling. I mean, you know, I told you earlier about with his exes. Well, he did the same to Vicky. He was kind of controlling, would yell, get pretty shitty. But after his demotion and this loss of income, he became very abusive and even more controlling. At one time, he even pulled a gun on Vicky and told her that he could kill her and make it look like a fucking accident. Well, Drew, then, with all of this going on, still, you know, married, found a new lady, Kathleen Savio. He told Kathleen all about Vicky. You know, he said, yes, I'm married, but my wife, well... She's a fucking junkie, and he was obviously, because of all this, just going to file for a divorce because he was done, he'd had enough, he couldn't handle her junkie tendencies anymore, and it was done. So Kathleen and Drew, well, they started dating while he's still fucking married. And when Vicky found out, she filed for a divorce, which I'm just going to let you guys figure this out. Obviously, you know, Drew... He didn't fucking take that very well. Not well at all. When Vicky was heading home from the bar one night, she got into an accident. The brakes on her car had been cut, causing her to flip multiple times and almost killing her. She ended up being in a coma for about a week and receiving reconstructive surgery. When she healed and woke up, Drew owned the bar and the divorce was completely finalized. So, this is where we're at now. We're really learning a lot about Drew. Let me tell you some now about Kathleen, his new woman. Her stepdad was not exactly the best, pretty much a deadbeat, kind of a horrible dude. Her biological father didn't pay child support, didn't help, and she ended up leaving home at a pretty early age. She became an accountant and had a dream of having everything she did not have as a child. She wanted a house, a family, financial stability, and security. This is what she found in Drew Peterson. Her and Drew got married in 1992, just shy of three months after his divorce with Vicky was finalized. So Drew, you know, he's moving, he's going, he's moving fast. And shortly after, of course, their marriage it went sour. I mean, could you figure that out? Did you see that coming? I'm fucking shocked. I didn't know that was going to happen. I thought this was it. Kathleen even needed to be hospitalized once when Drew beat her. Like, that's 
how bad it was. And there, you guys, you guys can look up everything I tell you. I'm gonna warn you on some of these things that you're gonna look up if you decide to, there's a lot of graphic things. And trigger warning for you guys. She actually told them she'd fallen, you know, the typical, I've been there, I've been assaulted, hurt, and beaten. You are afraid to say anything. So she made up an excuse as to what happened. And he, he was a police sergeant, you know? Like, she didn't know what to say or what to do because she was afraid. So she did say she had fallen. But 10 years into their marriage, things would go very, very bad. October of 2001, an anonymous letter was sent to Kathleen. The letter said that Drew was having an affair with a 17-year-old. Her name was Stacy. Drew, at this age, was 47. Drew then, he filed for divorce. Just was like, mm, okay. Police got involved during this divorce due to several accounts of violence. And as soon as the divorce, blah, 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 I don't know what words are, the divorce became final. Well, Drew, he got married again. Stacy Ann who was 19 when they were married on October 18th, 2003. So we're getting closer, told you. This was a this was kind of a close case to us. Soon after, she, she became pregnant. Stacy and Drew also lived only two blocks from Kathleen, who he continued to harass while he's, you know, he's married, he's got a, a child on the way, and he's still harassing her. But they did have to see each other a lot because they did have two sons together, Thomas and Christopher. So it was normal for them to always have to see each other. Drew would get physical though, like he he would fight with her and hurt her. But the issue here is because he was a police officer, because he was a he had been a sergeant and everything, she's the one who got in trouble. He was never charged with anything. In 2002, now we're going to move around a lot through this, so I need you guys to kind of stick with me. This case, as I said, there's a lot. The next one's pretty messy too, as there were just recent updates. So it kind of moves all over. I, I apologize. Finding sources on kind of newer cases, you got to kind of go through and put it in an order that you can. It's difficult. So. In 2002, Kathleen filed for an emergency restraining order, stating she was afraid for her life. She even told her sister, he's going to kill me, and he's going to make it look like an accident. Kathleen even reported that one night Drew broke into her home, threatening her with a knife. He put the knife to her and then said that he couldn't do it. He, he got it right there, scaring her, you know, getting it, and then she basically, she says that she went do it. Just go ahead and do it. You know, she was done with it and she called him out and he's, he said he couldn't and he left. So, but she reported this. The police went to Drew and he told them a whole different story. He said that she invited him over and kind of seemed like she was hitting on him. Started asking if he missed anything, showing her like her cleavage, but he says that nothing happened, especially not in the way that Kathleen says it did. So, of course, that that's just 
what this is. I'm, I'm, I get frustrated with this, knowing that like he used the fact that he was a cop and was hurting his wife or ex-wife. And the shitty thing is, even though the police had been out there, like. I think it was over, if not right around, 18 times for domestic disturbances. Drew never got charged with anything. But Kathleen, she was arrested twice. Acquitted. Like, it was, you know. But it's really messed up. So Kathleen sent a letter that was trying to have her, like, get help. And she didn't get that help. She, she really, she couldn't go to anyone. She couldn't go to the police. She, she had to reach out farther. She was trying to go public and let it be known about her husband. You know, this officer abusing his power, just having everyone cover up things for him, that he was having an affair with a underage girl. She wanted to tell it all. And she was asking to meet up and share her story about all of this. You know, it was all just going to come out is what she wanted since nobody was going to help her, so she she needed to reach farther. Drew, again, was not going to have something like this. You know, we, I think we're learning in, in Drew's mind, you don't cross him. No. He has this picture of who he is and how he is, and if you come in that way, nope, not good for you. On February 29th, 2004, Drew, Stacy, and the children returned from the aquarium at 4.15 p.m. Drew had work at 5.30, but returned home at 7 to take the kids back to Kathleen as they had discussed. This was what they did. But she didn't answer the door when he got there, and she didn't answer her phone either. At this point, Drew thinks, all right, I mean, I probably got the school the schedule messed up because there isn't school on Monday. So he assumed, you know, I'm just supposed to have them another night. Well, he goes home. They're there. He has them until Monday. Yet, when Monday comes around, Drew still cannot get in, con- in contact with Kathleen. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on with my words today. They're, it's like they're sticking to my mouth. Not sure what's happening. So he still can't reach Kathleen and it comes to seven o'clock that night. Again, he goes to her house. She doesn't answer the door or the phone. He spoke with a neighbor of Kathleen about calling a locksmith at this time. As he told the neighbor, he did call a locksmith, Robert Aiken, who actually worked with the Bolingbroke Police Department. The handle lock was locked, but the deadbolt wasn't, which is what the locksmith had found when he opened the door. Neighbor Steve, I can't, I don't know if I'm going to say his name right, so I'm just warning you now, I apologize. Carcerino or Carcerino, that's the thing, I don't know which way it is. He's the one who found Kathleen. He shares the incident in an interview. Quote, I was coming back from work and I saw Drew in the subdivision. He pulled up to my car and asked me to go to the house in about 10 to 15 minutes. That is what he had said. Then he he kind of goes on and says that Drew had the locksmith and the neighbor there and that they talked, they, I'm sorry, they, they, they talked for a moment, you know, she hadn't been there, They're, she wasn't answering, so they weren't, they wanted to go in and make sure that everything was okay. So the neighbors are actually the ones that go in. That's where we're at. They walk into the bathroom once 
they go inside and they find Kathleen laying naked and she's dead. <clears throat> she was face down in an empty bathtub. Her hair was wet and a gash was on her head. So this ended up being rolled almost right away a like she slipped and fell and drowned in an empty tub by the way let's just note that okay it was very odd as he asked neighbors to accompany him to check on her drew stayed outside as the neighbors went inside to look for her now steve said that he thought the only reason that Drew didn't go inside is because they were going through that messy divorce and he thought that maybe if he went inside it would upset Kathleen because of everything that had gone on with everything. So he didn't think anything of it that Drew stayed out there. And as soon as Drew did hear the neighbors scream, he came running in, saw her, and he started screaming as well. The next day after Kathleen's body was found, Drew went in for an interview, but it wasn't very formal and official. The investigating officer was actually a good friend of Drew's. So this, you know, it didn't really go as you or I going in to be interviewed would. Drew claimed he spent the weekend at home with his kids and Stacy. Stacy was called for an interview, which Drew, he set in on, stating that it was due to her being pregnant and wanted to make sure that she was okay. Stacy ended up verifying Drew's alibi. Two weeks later, Drew provided a handwritten will, just voila, you know, between him and Kathleen, stating that if anything happened to one of them, the other person got everything. I just find it a little odd, though, that earlier during the divorce, it was said that no such will existed. So, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> um, with Drew having full custody, Stacey legally adopted the kids as well. But Stacy and Drew didn't remain happy very long. Oh my god, I'm so fucking shocked. Drew always had to know where she was and what she was doing, and then he became very verbally abusive. Then, in 2007, Stacy contacted a divorce attorney, and then she disappeared. That's, that's like, what happened? Okay, there's more. The morning of October 28th, 2000... Now, this is, like I said, this case is going to get real crazy. It's going to start moving really fast. I need to give you guys a lot of the background, and now we're going to start moving. The morning of October 28th, 2007, Stacy went to her sister to help with home renovations. Or at least that was the plan. Stacy never showed up for this. Allegedly... Stacy ran off with a guy, even taking her passport, a couple thousand dollars in cash, a few things, and her bikini. Yeah. Stacy's sister, you know, she filed a missing persons report because she didn't believe that. You know, everyone said that Stacy would never just dip out on her kids like that. Just, oh, a dude, okay, I'm going to run off now, goodbye. Yeah, nobody believed that she would ever do that. Drew... However, says it's true. He says that she called him the day she disappeared. Said that, hey, listen, I found another guy. Okay. I know. I know. It's, I'm shocked too. I was so shocked. I was just, 
um, I was out, and here, there he was. It was nice, and uh, we're gonna run off. I just need. I I took my bikinis, a couple grand, and uh, oh, by the way, I left my car at the airport. If you'd like to go pick it up, bring it back to the house, you absolutely can. Okay. Wish I could say I love you, but I love somebody else. Okay, bye. Like how? I'm sorry. That's what we're gonna go with, Drew. That's what we're gonna. Okay. Well. He did go get the car from the airport and brought it back to the house, as he said, you know, he was told to do by Stacy. Yeah. I was off with a man somewhere with the bikini. Yeah. But uh, according to him, she's absolutely okay. She's, she's, she's just, she ran off. Y'all calm down. Basically coming off like, the, it's, it is what it is. You know, she told me she, and I just, I have to deal with it. So whatever. I got the car. When questioned Stacy about Stacy's disappearance, Drew referred to her in past tense and refused to have any searches of his home done. This caused the media to blow up. And this attention-seeking man loved it so much. During the investigation, police learned about Drew's stepbrother, Thomas Morphe? Morphe? I'm not sure how to say it. Uh, when police found and questioned Thomas, he actually was in the hospital due to a suicide attempt. So the day before Stacy disappeared, Drew told Thomas that Stacy was having an affair, which had to be, quote-unquote, taken care of, then asking Thomas if he loves him enough to kill for him. Of course, Thomas was like, nah, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to go with a hard pass. Thanks, though. And then Drew asked if he could live with himself if he knew about someone doing it. You know, killing somebody. Or, I'm sorry, taking care of the problem. He said, I guess I could. Because at this point... Thomas kind of had a inkling that Drew had something to do with Kathleen's death. So he was just like, I, I guess I could. I mean, I know that you probably did something to Kathleen, and I'm, I guess. Well, now Thomas believed, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, he, he, he knew if something happened to Stacey, then he already knew who to relate it to. Well, Drew and Thomas, at this point, they, I guess they talk about some stuff or they do something. I'm not sure. This is unclear. I think we might discuss this a little bit later. But Thomas then calls Drew, okay? After, like, the day before everything, he calls Drew and they, like, set up to do stuff. So they go to a storage place. This is all still the day before. I don't know if there was a separation in between this conversation. It, what I've read sounds like either the conversation happened and then boom, they start going to do stuff or they were on the phone and then something, I don't know. But they had a conversation and then they decide, we're going to go to a storage unit. Or at least Drew decides. They're going to go off to a storage place where Drew then asked Thomas to rent a unit. And in return, Drew will give him just $2,000, you know? Here, you go rent this for me, and I'll give you two grand. That's not suspicious, guys. I don't know. You've never done that? I've done that so many times. Thomas, though, he wasn't able to rent the unit, however, because something with IDs and whatever. Yeah. 
Later, after all of this, Thomas calls Drew and tells Drew that, you know, I'm sorry, dude, I don't want to be a part of this plan, you know, quote-unquote plan, that he wasn't sure of, and he just, he wanted out. Drew told him, that's fine, dude. All right, that's fine. Cool. Have a good night. But the next day, October 28th, Drew went to Thomas and picks him up. They go for a drive where Drew handed Thomas a phone and told him, don't answer that phone. Well, less than an hour later, the phone rings twice. The color ID showed Stacy. Then they went to Drew's house where Drew got a blue barrel from his and Stacy's bedroom. Thomas helped him bring it down the stairs and into the car. Drew gave Thomas money, took him home, and says, quote unquote, this never happened. This leads Thomas to try to kill himself when he realized he had helped Drew probably get rid of Stacy's body. Due to his statement, Thomas offered was offered immunity. He had to testify in court, though. So, you know, he, they needed his statement since they there was not a lot of evidence linking anything from Drew to Stacy. And you're gonna find this case gets real frustrating really fast. There is some justice that is served, but not not the justice that needs to be served. He, okay, we're, sorry, we're past Thomas at this moment. So now this hits the media. You know, Drew is still soaking it up. All this attention he is, I mean, he loves it. Even though he's a suspect at this point in his wife's death, or sorry, disappearance, we actually don't know if she's dead. So he he's now a suspect, but he is loving all this attention even going out and holding a video camera up to all of the media that is, you know, they're, they're out in front of his house. He's going out there laughing, smiling, joking, like, oh, what do you like if I did it to you? <laughs> and, like, does these little speeches trying to come off humble and, like, oh, I'm a badass. Like, he's such a dick. And sorry, I'm not a fan of this guy in the slightest. But, you know, he's laughing and joking and playing with the reporters. Meanwhile... <laughs> His wife is gone. And I know, we all act different. We all handle grief differently. But please, I urge you to just go look up Drew Peterson in the media, and you will understand. When confronted, though, by the media about this container that Thomas had helped to move, Drew would go from his, like, <laughs> self to, I have no idea what you're, anyone's talking about like that, and, you know, just constantly says no, no, and tells the media that they need to talk to his lawyer. Drew's lawyer was Joel, hold on one second, my dog is, okay, you good, Odin? Are you good? Okay. What the actual F starring Odin. His lawyer was Joel Brodsky, but the thing with his lawyer is he also kind of seemed like like a real schmuck too, you know. He he was he wanted Drew in the media as much as possible. They even had a contract agreeing that Joel Joel would get money from all of his and Drew's interviews and media coverage. In an interview, when asked if he killed his wife Stacy, he said no. Then, if I'm sorry, my dog is climbing up on me, guys. Give me one moment. I apologize. 
sorry, <laughs> I have two dogs in the room with me that I record in currently, and the big dog just climbs up on me as I'm trying to read, and I had to give him love for a minute. My apologies. Okay. Um, so we were, the, the media talks to this lawyer. Okay. So they, they are, they've been asked, he's been asked, you know, did you kill your wife? He says, no, no, he doesn't, he did not kill Kathleen and that he's tired of being portrayed as a monster. This is what he says in an interview. Police ruled Stacy's disappearance foul play within two weeks learning more and more information made it just keep come out just very suspicious it didn't seem like she could have actually ran off with a guy as drew says neighbors even told police they had seen two men carrying a blue barrel out of drew's house drew's exes even went to police about how drew really was due to everything that they were finding out police decided to look back at the death of kathleen Police at this time didn't really have any hard evidence, as I stated before, in Stacy's case, and they hoped something may show up in Kathleen's case. Continuing to search for Stacy, Kathleen's body was exhumed and re-examined. This time, two different pathologists took a look, and they ended up disagreeing with the original coroner's finding. Because of how her body was in the tub and her bruises and marks on her body, they determined that Kathleen's or matter of death was homicide. No longer an accident, you know, no longer a drowning in a dry tub, but homicide. To which Joel Andrew responded to by doing an interview on the NBC Today show with Matt Lauer. This was four months, give or take, after Stacy has disappeared. Drew said in the interview that he was shocked when he found out Kathleen's death was a homicide. As far as the last four years, he believed, and so did everybody else, that it was an accident. And that, that first autopsy, that fresh autopsy, as he said, said, you know, it was an accident. But now this one? This new autopsy with an old body, that's what he said, by the way. He says fresh autopsy with a, a new body, and now a new autopsy with an old body. And all of a sudden, it's ruled homicide. He finds that a little bit suspicious. Wouldn't, wouldn't you know? He finds that a little bit suspicious and suspect, suspectual? I don't know. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't like it. It's suspicious. Joel even told a radio DJ that they should have a win a date with Drew Peterson contest. <laughs> I'm sorry. That sounds fantastic. The radio DJ said he'd do a dating game with them. That's fine. No, that's not an issue. Joel said it was up to Drew, and Drew said, huh, that's my lawyer. This was all recorded, by the way. Which Joel, Joel then said, yeah, hmm, why not? Like, it wasn't y'all's idea. Come on. Stop it. You're like those people that search for a compliment without saying, do I look nice today? Um, when the media learned about this contest, uh, it blew up. The radio station, however, said, win a date with Drew will not happen. 
Joel, Drew's lawyer, when questioned, said his client didn't do anything wrong, you know, when it comes to this contest. And he's entitled to have some fun through all of this. Yeah. You heard that right. Drew's allowed to have some fun while his wife is missing. Even though Drew still insists that his missing wife ran off with another man. Because remember, remember guys, she called... She called him. Then, on April 1st, 2009, Drew called a local radio station again. Drew goes on air, and this is recorded, and says that his attorney is telling him to keep his mouth shut and sit tight. But he, he's just got to come clean. And he asks, is this okay? Can I come clean? The DJ says, I don't know. Um, I don't know what you're going to say. Drew says, oh, this is hard. This is hard. To which the DJ responds, I mean, what are you going to do here? Drew, then in a somber type voice, says, well, I just got to tell you, it's been weighing, weighing heavy on my chest for some time now. I just got to say, the chicken wings at Addiction Bar and Grill are the best I've ever had. Ben gives the address and says, happy April Fool's Days and laughs hysterically. No one else found this humorous, by the way. Just gonna let you know that. Also, the bar and grill that he mentioned, addiction, with those chicken wings that are so great. <laughs> Good one, Drew. That was actually owned by his lawyer, Joel. Yeah. Again, they are soaking up all the attention and just, like, basically milking it as fucking much they can. Yeah, I was hitting my hand on that. I was using demonstration for this audio-visual. Drew was asked on TV how he stays so upbeat with Stacy missing. And he says, quote-unquote, you do what you can. I'm not going to go in the corner and cry about it. Yeah, Drew, you're a real peach. In the same interview, the news anchor says, the neighbors say that they saw you carrying a big blue barrel. Drew cuts in and says, that's not what they agreed to talk about. And the anchor... <laughs> quickly says that he agreed to no such thing and he never would you know he's that's not why we interview people on the news bro <laughs> we don't we don't give a shit about your hobbies we want to know about this okay but that's why it's called the news um drew then says oh okay i guess i gotta walk away and starts taking off all of his like his earpieces his mic says all right bye guys have a good day yeah, because, you know, he'll talk about anything to anyone except for that blue barrel and what everyone's been seeing. Nah, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about it didn't happen, right? Yeah. Then on May 7th, 2009, Drew was indicted and arrested for Kathleen's murder. In the trial, it was learned that just before Stacy disappeared, she told three people that she believed Drew was responsible for what happened to his third wife. Kathleen. That he obviously killed her. Yeah. So Stacy's running around telling people this. It's not Drew. It's not looking good for you. Okay? It's just not looking real good. Drew asked if testimony from Stacy's pastor and divorce lawyer could be excluded. Remember, you know, she went to a divorce lawyer. Divorce lawyer. Divor Am I saying that incorrect? Divorce lawyer. I don't know. 
So she went to one, and she also talked to her pastor a lot, and he didn't want anything that she had said to them, because they were some of the key people, to be allowed. Well, uh, yeah, that that was, that. the judge said no, I'm sorry, we're going to admit hearsay statements if a prosecutor can prove that a defendant may have killed a witness to prevent, prevent them from testifying. And this was actually coined a law known as Drew's Law. Yeah, you guys can't go out, you can't be out there just killing people so they can't testify against you because, I don't know, I mean, like, you're still being a pretty bad person. Drew was found guilty of premeditated murder on, oh God, did I write that down? I think I'm going to go with either he was found guilty or... No, yeah, he was found guilty September 6, 2012. He was sentenced to 38 years in prison. After he was incarcerated, though, because, you know, we're not done yet, Drew was jumped by another inmate who wanted to sell his belongings on the internet and make some of that money. You know, the infamous Drew Peterson. You might not be able to win a date with him, but you can buy his underwear. (laughs) God, that's nasty. But there's one more thing to this story before I end it all. That way, you know, we can move on to the next one. Solicitation of murder. Hmm. Murder. An inmate said that he was playing basketball in the prison yard in October of 2013 when Drew approached him and asked him for a favor. Drew asked if he'd get someone to kill James Glasgow the very attorney who put Drew away. According to this inmate with conversations that they'd had, and several of these are recorded, or you can find several recordings of this. I don't know if it's all one conversation, but they're they're broken up into pieces. And then there's, of course, compilations. So they are recorded. The inmate in, in one of these tapes says, I told him what you said, that it's a green light. Basically, go ahead and kill him. Drew... Right, right. Inmate, that's what you wanted, right? It ain't no turn him back, okay? True. All right, I'm in. I'm, from the first time we talked about it, there's no turning back. Inmate, all right. Drew, if I get some booze in here, (laughs) we'll celebrate that night. Yeah. And he laughs. I mean, like, laughs. The last thing they will, this is still continued with Drew, the last thing they will identify him as the guy that got me. I'm sorry, that's the first thing. That's what he's known for. That's the guy that prosecuted, prosecuted Drew Peterson. He told the inmate if James was dead, his appeal would be guaranteed. That's how it works, Drew. Obviously, you gotta kill one person so that all your other crimes just get diminished. Yeah, Drew, you're on to pure crazy. The inmate asked Drew if Glasgow is dead by Christmas, then when would that put Drew out? Like, when would he be out of prison? When would you get out? And if he's even kind of worried that maybe, you know, other things could happen and he would get back in. And Drew says, if Glasgow is alive and Drew gets out, that's when he'll be charged with Stacy, saying if they don't have grounds for it, just like they didn't have grounds for, you know, the murder that he did and he's serving time for, or what he says, this other thing. 
The inmate says, but, wait, they got you on Kathleen? And he says, yeah. Which the inmate is super shocked and says, oh, dude, I thought they got you on Stacy. Drew replies, no, Stacy's still alive, running around out there. Yeah. Yeah. So with this recording, Drew got another 40 years for solicitation, solicit, solicitation of murder. Yeah, that's how I had to get it out for some reason. To this day, Stacy has never been found, and Drew has never been charged in connection with her case. I am interested in if you guys think that Drew did it. I, I do. I believe he did it, absolutely. But I'm interested to know if you think he did. And if you don't think he did, can you tell me why? You guys can write me on Instagram. You guys can go to what the actual EFF official. Follow, send a message. Let me know if you think that Drew did kill Stacy, or at least has something to do with her disappearance. If you think that she's alive, if you think she really ran off with this guy and called Drew and was like, hey baby, listen, I'm not gonna be home for dinner tonight, okay? You're gonna take care of that. I love you, but um, I don't love you. I'm going off with this fella. Yeah. We're gonna go to the, the islands. I don't know. I really don't know how the conversation went. I'm just going off of what Drew says. I, I don't believe him for a second. This man loved attention. While his wife is, you know, missing, he is saying that he should they should do, like, win a date with him. One minute, he's like, I love my wife. I believe she's out there. The next, he's like, she ran off. Let me find a new lady. Yeah, this guy's a, a real, real piece of work. Uh, he's, he's, and it's sad that nothing has been able to connect him to Stacy just yet or maybe with everything that went down because of his connections with police we, we don't know it's real it's bad and Kathleen reached out for help she didn't get it it's really it's really sad it really is and the delusions that Drew believes you know if he kills someone his record is just it's gone like he's gonna be fine this is how no dude got nothing coming that's not that's not how it is. So that was our first case. And like I said, if you guys want to send me a message, tell me what you think, that will be great. You can also email me at whatthaactualeffharmony at gmail.com. If you guys would like to do that, that would be great. Let's move on to our next case. Okay, this next case is very recent, still going on. I've been wanting to talk about it. There are updates in it. Some of you honestly may know this case, but, oh God, okay. It's a strange, very complicated case. It involves a man named Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow, Lori's two children, Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow. It has cults, zombies, doomsday prep, traveling, dead spouses, Lori and Chad believing that they're gods, and Oprah. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. Chad Daybell was born August 11th, 1968. Okay, let me actually, before I even get started, let me just preface this. All right, obviously, listeners, your discretion is advised. I shouldn't have to tell you that, okay? If you're listening to this podcast, you're an adult. I don't feel like as an adult I need to tell you that, but here we are living in 2020 and everything needs a disclaimer, so disclaimer for you, okay? Also, this case is all over the place. 
I'm gonna repeating myself. I'm gonna probably say things from different angles and sides, you know, because that's what the truth is. Every angle, all sides. It's and this case is fucked up. Okay, there we go. Back to the story. Let's get into this case. God, guys, stop talking. Jeez. Okay, I'm trying to speak here. Chad Daybell was born August 11th, 1968, in Utah. In the oh, we already went through all of that. Okay, I mean, let's move forward again. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> okay. In 2004, Tammy and Chad started their Spring Creek. That's not right. Spring Creek Book Company. Try saying that five times, please. Chad at this company that they started had published around 27 self-published books. Yeah, he was an author. And these books focus on religion, the end of days, and they had titles like I Know the Modern Prophets, The Renewed Earth. These books, as you can imagine, speak of the end of times and what and how the Latter-day Saints are preparing for it. Most of his books, though, as I said, you know, were published through his company. And some of them were, they were a little, they're a little weird. So all in all, we understand at this point that Chad is kind of a weird dude. He's married to Tammy. They have several kids. He published his own books through his own book company. And, uh, yeah, it's just, he's, he believes in the end of the world, which I'm, I mean, a lot of people do, you know, and he preps. This is where we're at with him. Now let me tell you a little bit about Lori. Lori was born June 26, 1973 in San Bernardino, California. Lori has been married five times, over the years at least that we know of. Her first marriage was in 1992 when she was only 19. We're not really sure who the husband was or even why they were divorced. Her second husband was a man named William Okay, I'm not sure if I'm going to say this correctly. William Lagoa? Lagioa? Lagioa? Lagola? I'm sorry. I'm not trying. I don't know. William L. They were married in 1995, and during this marriage, they had a child, Colby. But they divorced in 1996. In 2001, Mary, I'm sorry, Lori married Joseph Ryan. They had a daughter, Tylee, Tylee Ryan, born September 24th, 2002. Joseph and Lori then divorced in 2004. Now, in 2006, Lori married her fourth husband, Charles Vallow, bringing Tylee and Colby into this marriage. Then in 2004, the couple adopted Joshua J.J., Vallow. So he was known as JJ. JJ was actually the son of Charles's nephew. JJ's family was unable to raise him, so he was adopted by the Vallows. At the end of 2014, Charles and Lori moved to Hawaii. While they were there, Lori met a man, Chad Daybell. That's where, yeah, he's he's entered back in there. I'm sorry, I was going to say, how I deliver this case, I apologize, what are words, I apologize, but I, this case is confusing, it's all over, and I just, I'm not sure, I really like Chatter, I don't like Chatter Lori, I don't, I don't like half the characters in this case, 
But, um, they're fucking here. Okay, here we go. Um, so she met Chad, and, uh, Chad, Chad's a Mormon, like, a radical Mormon. His beliefs do not line up with the Mormon faith. His beliefs are so extreme that he believes he has special powers, that he can talk to the dead, and he's a psychic, he's a prophet, he has prophetic dreams all the time. I'm not kidding, all the time. Uh, he even has visions constantly. And he decided, with all of this, he was going to release an autobiography, Living on the Edge of Heaven. And it, it talks about all of this, all of his superpowers. And he shares about two near-death experiences and how this made him write his novels. Because almost dying gave him his gifts. And I'm not saying that people don't have any, like, you know, abilities of any sorts, like any, like it's energy, and if you're not in tune one more thing, I'm not saying that you don't, but he wrote a book about it, and then he said, you know, that he got it from this, his near-death experiences. Chad believed that the world was going to end in earthquakes and fire and floods, that the government will require humans to be microchipped, and a lot of people believe this, so Chad's not alone here. A lot of people believe what he's saying. And his goes a more extreme. He kind of, you guys will understand why I'm saying it. Like, I'm, it's like he, he starts off kind of just as a conspiracy theorist when you're learning about Chad. And then it just, it gets really bad. That's why I, I don't want it to get confused. You guys hear me speaking kind of probably, eh, when it comes to Chad. But it's not because of some of his beliefs, you know. Look at me. I run a uh, conspiracy podcast about true crime and all that. Like, I'm not anyone to judge what someone believes. But this guy's a piece of shit. Okay. And the U.S., he, what he also believes, is going to be invaded by the Chinese and Russian forces. In June of 2015, Tammy and Chad bought a house. In Salem, Ohio, not Ohio, Salem, Salem, Idaho. Idaho? Idaho. I'm sorry. I love saying, I remember in school being like, Idaho? No, Idaho. Okay, let's stop having nostalgia. So they moved there because Chad, he said he's hearing voices telling him that he needed to move to Salem. Then in 2017, miraculously, Charles and Lori decided to move back to Chandler, Arizona. Everything seems normal, yet Lori becomes fascinated with Chad. So she's no longer living in Hawaii, she's in Arizona, and she is just becoming obsessed with what Chad believes, all of his, his like, life, his abilities, everything. She is, she's in it. Everything is, but, you know, supposed to be fine in the home front with this, then, December 2018, Lori and Chad were tied together publicly as they both went on the podcast Preparing a People, discussing Doomsday and their theories. So they went there to share about, you know, the fact that they believe the end of the world was coming, how it was going to happen, what they were doing. You know, Chad and Lori both believed that they were some kind of gods. And they had superpowers. 
this is why Lori bonded with Chad because she believed she was a god. And you guys will hear more more about this, okay? These these two are very uh, I understand like, you know, mental health and delusions having a lot go on. And I am not sure how to feel about Lori and Chad because it's it's like for them to believe these things that they are saying and then what comes out of their beliefs, the true horror and pain to so many people, to a family, is it's a line between are they mentally like incapacitated? Are they actually delusional? Which means they can't be held up accountable for what they possibly did or were involved in because, you know, mental capacity has a lot to do with that. If they really believe this, then yeah. Or because some signs point to they are mentally sound and they're just, I don't know, fucking horrible people acting and it led, it led to murder. And, okay, my apologies. Let's get back on track here. <clears throat> so... They both claim um, they have lived previous lives, which I I understand. You know, I I actually like to look up about that stuff. You know, there's a kid that took people to his grave in his previous life. Like he was a child, told them someone murdered him, and they he took them to find his body. So I 100% believe past lives. If you don't, that's fine. You can have your belief. I'll have mine. It's fine. We don't have to agree. I don't care. So, Chad even believes that in seven, he has the number by the way, seven of these past lives, he was married to Lori. Lori thought this was so fucking romantic that, you know, they just keep finding each other and <laughs> they must be so in love, you know? This is, this is the uh, hallmark love story I've been dying to hear. Nothing like believing you're God and uh, the end of the world is coming. You guys have been together forever, throughout the lives. But only seven. But forever. You know. Logic. That is, that's romantic. Lori, I see what you saw. <laughs> Romance for the ages. Chad also believed he was a religious figure in a past life. But not just any religious figure. No, we can't. Can't be that. He knows who he was. He was Martin Luther. A 16th century monk and theologian, one of the most significant figures in Christian history. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I had to look that up because I was I was brought up Catholic and now I'm spiritual. I'm not, you know, over here like okay, yeah, no, I'm sorry, uh, but I didn't know at all who this was. But he and when I learned about him, okay, it's a it's a bold, bold fucking assumption, buddy, to say that you were him. Chad told Lori that he had a vision that Lori and him were chosen by God to help lead the second coming of Jesus. Now, they just were, you know, supposed to recruit as many people as they can. They were going to educate them about the world and its ending. Chad told Lori that one 
144,000 people, please remember that number, would be meeting in his backyard for the second coming. Now this 144,000 people is a very significant number known as a special group of people in the book of Revelations. These are known as the servants of God. Yeah, see, reading the Bible and more so with that, as I was religious growing up, I just, it was more Catholicism. I did still read a lot of these things. Also, Lori and um, Chad, well, they, they got married. But why they were still married to other people? That's, that's, I don't think you guys can do that. Did they, like, what? But, uh, they did. They went to a Latter-day Saints church and had what's known as, I think it's, I think it's a sealing ceremony is what I was reading. And essentially, marrying you or bonding, bonding you for the rest of your life. And then, February 2019, Charles Fallow files for divorce. This, he, when he did this, like, I, I don't... There's so much that I was learning about this that I had to kind of separate everything in two different, I guess we call them factions of this case because of the update releasing more information that was related to already released information. So yeah, he filed for divorce and he files for sole custody of JJ. In the court documents, it's noted that Lori told Charles she's a translated being who cannot taste death sent by God to lead the 144,000 yeah that's in the court documents Lori is referred to in the documents as mother mother believes that she is receiving spiritual revelations and visions to help her gather and prepare those chosen to live in the new Jerusalem after the great war as prophesied in the book of Revelation. Charles even got an order of protection as Lori told him she was a god and if he got in her way, she would murder him. Do you guys see now why my tone can be a little bit off? Like, these people, I'm not sure, I don't know, are they crazy or are they just fucking killers? Like, you guys will learn. I just don't know. Or are they, are they mentally... Ill. Like, I don't know, and it does frustrate me because of what happens. Okay, so this case, as I stated, is kind of all over the place. It really is. There's, I'm going to be going to one year, to one month, to, you know, just all over, back to one, back to another, and I apologize. I just, I got to get it all to where it kind of makes sense because it's still happening, and things are still being released, and trying to put a timeline can be very difficult and getting in the rabbit hole of this case is, okay. So back on track, I need to give you guys a side note before we continue more into what's in these court documents. But in, let me see what year it was. In, on April 3rd, 2018, Ty Lee's father, Lori's third husband, Joseph Ryan died. The cause of death was ruled a heart attack. Before his death, Joseph told the court Lori wouldn't allow him to see his daughter despite the custody agreement. Also during her, their custody battle, custody battle, Lori's brother Alex attacked Joseph with a stun gun and threatened to kill him. So Alex Cox, Lori's brother, you're gonna learn is, 
he's he's another character. He's another he's another character. Also in these court documents, an email from Enterprise Rent-A-Car was sent to Charles, and it said that he had transferred two thousand points out of his rewards account, and he feared that this meant that Lori was going to run off with JJ. Charles provided his attorney with proof that Lori transferred $10,000 into their personal account, then moved it to an unknown account in January of 2019. Also, allegedly, she transferred $25,000 from their joint business account to the same unknown account. During the divorce, Lori disappeared for nearly two months, leaving the children with others and no one having any idea where she was. Now, with everything being brought up in this divorce and all this, Charles eventually decides he's going to stop the divorce. He states that he wants the marriage to work. In 2019, Lori's niece, Melanie Bordeaux, I believe that's how you say her, her last name. I'm not sure. It's Bordeaux, Bordeaux, sorry. There are two Melanies in this case, by the way. There's two. Um, she demanded a divorce from her husband, Brandon Bordeaux or Bordeaux. Brandon claims that his then wife believed that, you know, she was all in the same things that Lori was and that she joined a cult according to Brandon, but he was still shocked as he thought that their marriage was fine. So he didn't understand why all of a sudden, boom, there's a divorce that's about to happen. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. During this, Charles took Lori off of his $1 million life insurance policy. So, you know, he wants the marriage to work, but he's in case, you know, since they already kind of went down that road, he needs to insure a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff that starts happening. Now, he makes his sister, who is the grandmother of JJ, the sole beneficiary, because he knows that she'll take care of JJ. He's, he's not really worried, and it's what's best. Then in June, on the 29th, Chad was sent an email from Charles Ballow inviting Chad to stay with him and Lori. Only Charles wasn't the one who wrote it. Was it Lori? Like, we don't know. But when Charles found the emails, because there were a few, he wrote Lori's brother, Alex, looking for answers. In the email to Alex, he says, see what she did. I'm not sure of her relationship with Chad Daybell, but they are up to something. She created a fake email alias for me as I've never set this one up. I asked her to explain herself and she started blaming you. That's a direct quote from the email. Then, on July 11th, 2009, Charles Vallow was shot and killed by Alex Cox, Lori's brother. Sorry for that slow dramatics. I was just trying to be dramatic for you. Because, again, I don't know how to react in emotions here because I don't know what's premeditated and what isn't. Because I don't know how if these people are actually crazy or mentally unstable or just stone-blooded killers. Okay, so here we are. Alex shot Charles. The shooting happened when Charles arrived at... The, now, again, you're going to hear about the shooting again. I'm going to tell you, it's gonna. there's going to be some repeating of stuff, but with more information. The shooting happened when Charles arrived at the family 
home to take JJ to school. It is assumed that Charles and Lori, they just weren't living together, even though they were, according to Charles, trying to work on their marriage, because that's what he wanted, even if Lori is secretly already married. Um, even though she's also still married to Charles, there's so much marriage in this. The police report says that there was a fight, and somehow Charles grabbed a bat, or got a bat, and attacked Alex with it, which made Alex then stop, go get his gun, and shoot Charles as self-defense. Alex told 911 it was self-defense, and Alex was never charged. At all. <clears throat> yep. Just gonna say that. There is a, there's body cam footage too, which is, this is so messed up. When police come, now let me warn you, if you go look up this body cam footage, I am warning you now. I could not find any that fully covered Charles's body, so please be advised, okay? You'll see a body, and yeah. When police came to the scene of the shooting, where Lori was, she's laughing, she's even, like, apologizing to her neighbors because of the police presence in the neighborhood, does not seem distraught, not even slightly. 36 hours after Charles was shot, Lori finally told his family that, you know, he had died. She told her son, like, I say her sons, but... They're Charles' sons, via text message. She said, and I quote, Hi boys, I have some very sad news. Your dad passed away yesterday. I'm working on making arrangements, and I'll keep you informed with what's going on. I'm still not sure how to handle things. Just wanted you to know I love you, and so did your dad. Sorry I read it like that, but that's what I feel like it sounds like, because it's like, I don't care, but I care. Condescending. By the way, your dad died. Okay, love you. So did he. Bye. When they responded, she says that she's waiting to hear back from the medical examiner to make sure and sense of it all. Not sure, but make sense of all of it. Not mentioning Charles was shot by her brother, Alex. Lori sent Steve... Charles, his son, a package of stuff and claimed that anything that was worth money, Lori kept, including watches that his dad had that he knew he was supposed to have, and there's so much. And But in the messages to the boys, she does not state at all that their father was shot by her brother, doesn't even say that he was shot, is acting like she's waiting for the medical examiner to give her a cause of death when he was shot point blank. Only a few days after Charles died, Lori called asking about that $1 million life insurance policy. And of course, she was shocked when she learned she was no longer the beneficiary. After this, she wrote Charles' sister, um, I believe that's who she wrote, uh, stating the, like, with a, a, a picture or like a scanned copy of this change of beneficiary form saying, five kids and no money. Like... You know, she has these all these kids, and you got the money? This is bullshit. Like, she's pissed. And then on July 22nd, 2019, Lori wrote a, the Dog Training Elite, which is the company where JJ had his service dog from. She wrote them an email and telling them that JJ's dog needs a new home. Due to a quote-unquote change of circumstances, 
The company picked up the dog on August 30th. So again, it's about, it's going to get more confusing. If you guys, if I've lost you, I'm very sorry, but this case is cuckoo bananas. At the end of August, Lori moved JJ and Tylee to Rexburg, Ohio. Her niece, Melanie, moved in with them as well. JJ was enrolled at Kennedy Elementary School on September 3rd. Then on September 23rd, can't say words, 23rd, Lori unenrolled him, stating she was going to homeschool him. Tylee was not enrolled as she had graduated early. On September 18th, Lori... See, like I said, we're going back, backwards and forward. Like, uh, I believe we're going to be going... We're going to go forward a little bit, and then we're probably going to shoot back some. So just be advised. It's about to start shifting. On September 18th, Lori contacted a nanny from Care.com, asking for help with JJ, telling the nanny that her husband had just died of a heart attack, and her son, he just didn't quite understand the situation you know, he wasn't handling it too well. She also said that Lori told her her daughter lived in Rexburg, but didn't watch JJ without wanting to be paid, and also didn't seem like she lived in the house, but she would come at home for dinners and to do her laundry. It just didn't seem like her daughter lived there. Only JJ and Lori. On September 19th, the nanny did go to the family home to watch JJ. And she said something, I believe it, it, it comes off as though she mentions that JJ left with Alex and seemed a little bit upset because he didn't about having to leave, but there isn't a whole bunch shared about her watching them. There, She mentions, too, that Lori jokes about how she likes to give JJ his meds earlier sometimes because she has such a tough life, you know, prepping for the end of the world, and... um getting ready to handle zombies, which we're about to get into, that when she gives him his meds, he gets tired, and she can just let him go to sleep, and she can have a break. She told that to the nanny. Then, on September 24th, the nanny wrote Lori about watching JJ again, like, hey, you know, I thought this was going to be a normal thing. Lori told her that JJ went with his grandparents for a month, and that they were in Hawaii. So Lori and Chad, you know, they're in Hawaii. Her grandparents, they're they're gone. Or maybe their grandparents went to Hawaii. I'm not 100% positive. But when they got back, you know, she could work again. It goes by the nanny, it, it, like a month goes by. And the nanny's like, hey, did you, you just don't want me to work? Because we've talked about this. This was the whole deal. And what's going on? Lori never responds. Not even once. Not even just to say, I'm sorry, you know, I got missing kids right now. You know, you might have known it's in the news, but she doesn't do anything. And September 22nd, 20th, like the, or the 23rd, the day is a little unclear, was the last public sighting of JJ alive. October 1st, Lori rented a storage unit that her and Alex visited several times. So this is where I'm going to kind of break down more when it comes to the case that's kind of at hand here and we're going to go backwards as well. I know I keep stating that but I can't stress it enough because it's going to get a little bit confusing. Um, Lori rented a storage unit that her and Alex visited several times. This is, this is caught on CCTV as well. October 2nd, Brandon, Melanie's husband, said that he was shot at 
and the bullet nearly missed his head. The shooter was driving a Jeep that was registered to Charles Ballow, who at this time was already deceased. On October 9th, Tammy calls 911 and says she was shot with a paintball gun. Then, October 19th, 2019, Tammy, Chad's wife, just, you know, 30 years, have five kids together, she dies. Her obituary says that she died peacefully in her sleep. At the time of her death, the coroner decided that it looked natural and that there was no need for an autopsy due to anything since her death had been hadn't been world suspicious at the time, you know. Which, let me just state, uh, this is another connection I see to the Drew Peterson case. You know, his first wife died of it wasn't a natural circumstance, but they you know they did an accident and she drowned, so she didn't have anything really done. Boom, boom, okay. Well, just like the last case. Due to all of it, you know, everything going on, all this Drew looking, Drew, I'm sorry, see, he's on my mind now, just bringing him up. Due to um, Chad kind of looking a bit, a little bit suspicious, a little bit suspect, a little bit odd. Um, Her body was exhumed, and her death at this point was kind of ruled suspicious. At the time of Tammy's death, though, she had a $430,000 life insurance policy. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. On October 25th, Ty Lee's friends say that they received a text message from her phone that said, Hi, miss you guys too, love you. I don't know how, like, it would be read. I'm just reading it how it was written. On November 5th, my birthday, 2019, Chad and Lori became legally married. Wait. Yeah. Why did you guys have to do it on my birthday? Okay, so by legally, because remember, their little sealing ceremony that they had at the church wasn't a legal thing. It was more so in the eyes of their beliefs. This became legal to the government. Because, you know, two weeks ago, Tammy passed away, so Chad's a single man. (laughs) Odd. And, you know, Flory's husband was shot in a fight by her brother. So, like, hey, why not? They can get married. Nothing suspicious there. Over the next few weeks, Chad would tell people that Lori had no independent children. I'm sorry, no dependent children. With Lori telling people that Ty Lee had been dead for years. Oh, my God. Then, on November 8th, Kay who is Charles' sister, found a bunch of orders on Charles's Amazon account that were placed after his death. All the items were shipped to Lori's Rexburg home. At this time, Lori and her husband, Larry, were worried about JJ and Ty Lee, so they had police do a welfare check. And Kay, like, during this process, when it comes to, like, wanting to find out what's going on, why these orders, like, what what is it with the welfare check having, like, that was going to happen at the end of November. And Kay decides to dig into these Amazon orders, and she says that she found these 
orders that were placed after he passed away because she got a printer from him or some sort of thing. And when she turned it on, it was still set to go and it showed her that Lori had been buying things on his account. She found evidence of Chad and Lori planning their wedding. This is how she found out. But this, the thing is, is the date of what they were buying and what they were getting for this wedding was while Tammy was still alive. So, you guys understand now why I'm just kind of like, I don't really like them, but I don't know what to think, because if they strongly believe what they're saying about this stuff, which, I mean, Chad wrote books, and then Lori also gone, went on court, like, basically documents stating that she needs to be called mother, but yet they're over here, like, doing stuff like this. Like, I don't know, this seems like a premeditated shit, you know? I don't know. It's so... Anyway, October 2nd, Lori purchased a ring and searched for beach wedding dress. A shirt for Chad, men's shoes, and and some more stuff. On December... December. December 1st, 2019, Chad and Lori got on a plane to Hawaii. JJ and Ty Lee were not part of that flight. December 11th, Tammy's body is exhumed and an autopsy is performed. The very next day, December 12th, Alex Cox's body is found. Well, okay, he was still alive. He's unresponsive in the bathroom of a home that he shared with his wife of 12 days. Honeymoon phase, man. His autopsy showed he died of preliminary embolism a condition that causes one or more arteries in the lungs to become blocked by a blood clot. Finally, February 20th, 2020, after failing to produce the children, Lori was taken into custody in Hawaii. On February 21st, Lori's bail was set at $5 million. On March 4th, Lori was extradited back to Idaho. Now, before Chad went back to Idaho to support Lori, he made a sizable donation of stuff to Goodwill. When a witness asked if there were any items for children, she was unaware due to all of the other donations that occurred at this time and this site. March 6th, Lori wore pink handcuffs and red lipstick in court. Her request for bail to be lowered to 10K was, well, it was not. It was not accepted. It wasn't made. Sorry. But Jude, this was only due to the fact that she was a flight risk, and they proved that because I'm going to tell you why coming up. But let me just give you a little bit. You know, she ran off when she was questioned about her children before. She left and stuff when it came to her husband. There's a lot, okay? She was very much a flight risk. It was lowered, though, to $1 million. And if she made bail, she would have to wear an ankle monitor. So, you know, she she could get out. She could. She, she has a million dollars. Now we're going to start to kind of go back and we're going to talk about more of their beliefs and we're going to run over some things. Um, it's, if I repeat anything, I'm sorry, but we're going to come to updates and it's going to get all kinds of weird. One thing that I need to tell you is Lori and Chad believed in light and dark spirits. That people are out there that aren't 
the spirit they originally were. That's not who's inside of them anymore. That they have become a zombie instead. However, the people who are zombies, they they seem to only be people that got in the way of Chad and Lori, which is a little bit a little bit ironic. Um, I, I just I, don't, I think so. Chad at one point told Lori that Charles had become a zombie. And according to them, the only way to remove someone or revive them from being a zombie is to kill them. I feel like remove still could have worked. To kill them, allowing their true spirit to return. Question, uh, Chad, Lori, listen, um, if you if you kill them, doesn't that mean they have nothing to return to? Like the body, it's just... I don't know. I need to know. Like, what did what was going on there, Chad? What was going on? Was Lori? Do you know? I need to know. I got questions. I'm I'm not following this brand. I don't. Your religion's confusing. Also, in January 2019, Charles called police saying Lori drained his bank account, stole his truck, and there's police like uh, the body cam footage of this saying that she has threatened him saying she will kill him, even saying that he's worried for his children. Lori had a, he told them too that Lori had a list of celebrities that she thought were on the dark side. You know, the, the light and dark that we were, and I'm not trying to mock her on this, I'm just letting you guys know, she had this list, and she believed that there was one person that was in charge of the elite of, um, this dark, these dark spirits, this, these like demonic people. And that was none other than Oprah Winfrey herself. Yeah. Um, she was the ringleader and, uh, she wrote about this, like, uh, Lori had written this, there was a list of it and yeah, the body cam footage, she talks about that and just shares <laughs> because of all of that. Lori believed and all that was happening he decided he was going to move to Texas he was just going to get away from it even though they were still kind of going to work it out but he could take space if he needed now because he moved to Texas this led to why he was visiting you know he went to the family home and in July to get JJ this is when Alex ends up shooting Charles another thing to note about this incident is when Alex calls 911 he sounds completely unbothered which is more apparent on the police body cam footage from the scene. And as I said, if you guys go look up that scene, you know, d just please be advised. Many people believe that Alex killed Charles all because Lori wanted him dead. And Alex took care of that as he had been, you know, convinced before or convicted before of assaulting someone for Lori's life, you know? Lori's ex, the one who's passed away, like deceased now. Yeah. So, um, and Lori, Lori did think that Charles was a zombie. Like, we, we just went over that. Charles' family believes that his murder was absolutely premeditated. Now, Lori is suspected to only have moved to Rexburg because it was close to Salem, where Chad lived with his wife. But she says it's for a job, you know, but that's a fucking, we, we know, let's just call it what it is, 
Let's call it it bullshit. Okay? Before Tammy died, Chad was actually telling people that he had a vision about her death. Mm-hmm. Her death was coming. Yeah, that's he was telling people that. Absolutely. Her death though was very sudden and the timing as Lori's husband had just died, yeah. A little bit suspicious and the new autopsy results still have not, at least that I could find, been made to the public. Like, I looked, I'm, I couldn't find a true one, so I can't give you anything. Um, but both of their spouses die, then they, you know, run off to Hawaii after police question them about, hey, where are the kids? You know, people were just worried. That's, we're just curious. They get married in Hawaii with this big ceremony, tons of photos, like, laughing and just so happy well you know Tylee and JJ aren't in these photos and people are really starting to wonder where they are now when police did go by for the welfare check on the kids that I mentioned earlier Lori tells them that JJ is in Gilbert Arizona with a friend okay this is where the other Melanie comes in. At least from what I believe. I think it's a whole different Melanie. Um, that's what it comes off from when I was reading and everything. Uh, Chad calls this friend that JJ is supposed to be staying with before the police can get a hold of her. Not, again, not the Melanie that lives with them. And says, are uh, police, you know, they're they're going to be calling you. And just don't, don't worry about it. Uh, but can you do me a favor... I really need you to do this for me. I just need you to lie for Lori and I. That'd be super. They needed her to pretend that JJ was with her. Lori even suggested that she take a picture of a group of friends at like a movie theater or out doing something and pretend that he's in that group. First of all, how the fuck are you going to pretend, Lori? Like, I, I mean, I can work with Photoshop and stuff, but... It's just, cops aren't going to like take a text message of a picture and be like, oh, okay, that's cool. I believe it. That's definitely not edited. They have ways to tell, dude. Well, Melanie refused to do any of that. She's like, no, I am not doing that. When she like got off the phone with them, she turned around and called the police, telling them that Lori and Chad wanted her to lie and say that, hey, JJ is here. He's okay. Then, Melanie claimed, also, that she called Alex before he died, asking him, hey, where are the kids? And he said, you don't want to know. Yeah. Police go back to Chad and Lori's with a search warrant, and this is when they learn, learn Chad and Lori skipped town and went to Hawaii, checking flight records, verifying that J JJ and Ty Lee were not with them. Then, Chad dies which Melanie believes is due to the stress of knowing what happened to JJ and Ty Lee. Then, on December 20th, 2019, police announced JJ and Ty Lee are missing publicly. On January 3rd, 2020, police did a massive search on Chad's house, checking phone records, computers, documents, and took a lot of evidence from the house altogether. This led to Chad and Lori being told to produce the children in court. Like, they, they were in um, Hawaii, and they got a notice stating that 
they had to produce their children in court. I'm gonna, I'll explain it more. Like I said, this case is all over the place. I try to put timelines out as I was learning things, but because the case is still going, it gets a little bit confusing, and I apologize. Um, JJ's, so they, they were pulled over during their stint in Hawaii. Uh, the, the day, I think it was, was it the next day? Yeah, the day after uh, it goes public, and she's told, is it the, no, it's not the day after, it was like right after in January that she's told, hey, you gotta produce the kids. She's driving around Hawaii still, not producing any kids, not doing anything at all, and she's pulled over. Her and Chad are pulled over, and in the car they find JJ's iPad, his, and his sister Tylee's birth certificates, the school registration, and Tylee's debit card. So, it is not looking very good at all for them. When asked during this whole trip, you know, because they're in Hawaii, as I stated, when asked by a news reporter, where are your kids? You know, where are your kids? Lori says, no comment. Yeah, no comment. At this point, they've been missing for four months, and they're out in Hawaii living it up. Just fucking... Whoop! Getting married, taking happy pictures. Just, we're honeymooning. The reporter pleads with Chad and Lori to just tell them what's going on because half of the country is praying for their kids and even them. And why they won't just give some answers, say something. Lori, with no emotion, just says, That's great. Obviously, Lori doesn't provide any evidence. And by the way, when she says that's great, the lawyer, I mean the lawyer, the reporter goes off. He's like, that's great. That's great. That's all you have to say. You know, like, can you say anything? We want answers and you guys are the only ones that have them. So it was, yeah, she was, again, that's what I'm saying. I can't tell if she's crazy in the aspect of like, like you're, are you a killer killer? Like, are you stone blooded? Just murderer that's pulling a card of insanity, or are you actually insane, or are you just mentally ill? I don't know! It's so confusing. Obviously, Lori doesn't provide the evidence that the kids are okay, and this is when she is arrested on February 20th in Hawaii. Lori gets charged with two felony counts of dis, uh, desertion, non-support of dependent child, added to that was resisting or obstructing officers criminal solicitation to commit a crime and content of court. Her bond, as we know, was set to five million and eventually being reduced to one million, which she can't pay. Shortly after all of this is released, that Chori, Chori, that's Chad and Lori, by the way, that's their name combined. Chad and Lori believed in this zombie thing. The whole light and dark side and it's people started to speculate that it was in their mind it was possible that they thought that Ty Lee and JJ were zombies so until recent updates this is what I just told you that cluster of a mess that's where it all stood you know they there was hope that the kids were alive and you know maybe maybe they are prepping them or like prepping being prepared for what they believe and the kids are okay and they're not wanting to share because 
Like they can't, people are going to think they're crazy. You know, there's, you don't know. That's, but then you also look at it from like, they're looking pretty guilty. It, I mean, her brother, Charles and Tammy, like it's, but then you also want to think, but maybe what if they're just mentally like, ah, oh, that's not gonna make it okay. No, but like, how can you charge? Like what, what's the charge going to be if there's anything, what is happening? Like it gets so, okay. You guys get it. You guys hear my frustration. I can't even words right now, but that's where it all stood. Lori in jail and Chad free and not in jail. On June 9th, 2020, around 7 a.m., officers arrived at Chad Daybell's home in Rexburg, Idaho, with search warrants. They had certain things they were looking for, you know, they'd go through. While they noticed areas of the ground had looked disturbed, which led them to digging, and the reason this wasn't done sooner, by the way, because, you know, they had been out there, they had searched, we know this, that's why they wanted the kids, was apparently due to the ground being too, I guess, like, hard or frozen, police said that they had to wait so that they could actually notice and do what they needed to do. After digging for only a few hours, they found the remains of JJ and Tylee. At the time that the remains were found, Chad was watching all of this from his house. When the first set of remains were found, Chad got into his car and tried to leave. He was followed and pulled over and arrested. When news broke that the remains were found and were in fact JJ and Tylee, the news was... It was... It, was, it, was, it, it broke a lot of people's hearts. I mean, I told you guys earlier... You know, there was, there really was some kind of hope. Like, they were just missing. There, police weren't sure if they were alive or not. And then to find this out is just, it, I mean, it, it was heavily covered in the media. It was monitored constantly. I, I couldn't get on, like, half of my true crime sites. I couldn't go, like, it was everywhere. Like, and it's to hear it like this I and mean, there's closure but it's just it's it's sad you know um let me just move okay that give me one second because like it's it's just tough it's and it's it's still going on and there's when you go when I get to the end of this and you guys hear you're gonna be so frustrated you're gonna understand why this is so tough okay so the main reason that people, I, I think, at least for me, like, I believed why it's possible is Lori's behavior. You know, I'm not the only one that thinks this either. Is Lori's behavior kind of came off like maybe the kids were okay because of her beliefs, but not, like, 100% either. It's just, like I stated, you don't know what you, you feel, and you don't want to accuse somebody because of a feeling. But maybe she was trying to protect them. That's not the... I wasn't the only person that thought that. I mean, several people that I follow that talk about true crime and where I go to get a lot of my information on the internet. People believe these. Like, what if she really is thinking this and she's just hiding the kids? People were shocked as Lori was described as a loving and caring mom. You know, it, it shocked everyone that... That... Uh, they were dead the whole time. Then she fucking knew. Like, she... she Obviously, she knew. And it's believed that Chad actually may have dug the graves so in in Chad's family Chad has a history of being a grave digger he was a he was a grave digger in the past so they think that maybe because he he did it he 
dug the kid's grave. Tylee's remains... Okay, this is going to get brutal, guys. This is going to get brutal. Her remains showed that she had been burned and dismembered, and pieces of her were found in different areas on the property. JJ was found wrapped up in, a, like, plastic and duct tape on him. This... This actually, like I said, this is like the Woodcock family, which was Kay and Larry. Um, they, you know, they were on Charles's, they were in his family. I mean, Kay is Charles' sister. And they, to them, they had a feeling that possibly, you know, yes, possibly the kids weren't alive. But they also had that hope because it's it's their grandkids, you know. And when they found out, it, it had to be painful. It had to be hard. Now, the last place that Ty Lee was seen, as several of them were actually seen, was in Yellowstone National Park. Alex, Lori, Ty Lee, JJ, they went to Yellow Nas uh, Yellowstone National Park. I'm sorry, guys. My words today are just not working out very well. And the day after they went there, they found some odd pings on Alex's phone. So, or is it, I, I don't know if it's just, yeah, it was Alex's phone. Um, from about 2, like, let's, let's say 2.30 to 3.30 in the morning, Alex was at Lori's apartment. Then from, like, 9.30 a.m. until a little bit later, he went to Chad's property, which tells us it's very likely that Alex was also involved in the death of the kids. Like, why are you on the property, dude? Why are you there? It, it, it was figured out that if he was on Chad's property for two hours, then he probably only buried one set of remains during that visit. That's, that's just the belief. Also, on that same day, Chad texted Tammy, who was still alive at this time, you know, telling her she had shot this or he had shot this big animal on the property and he just wanted to let her know. And, you know, maybe that was to cover up the ground being disturbed or whatever, but they had a pet cemetery on the property and he was going to put the raccoon in there or something, you know. But he wanted to let her know, doing the, the husbandly thing, I guess. I don't know. But that has made people wonder if... Tammy knew anything and we can't ask her she is not here so it's people some people say that maybe she knew but we don't know and I mean they were married for 30 years so there's a lot of speculation but it seems that in all actuality like he was trying to cover it up the that he had buried something out there by stating that it was this raccoon and he was going to put it in a cemetery you know he had to do something because she would probably ask him questions. A neighbor also claims that he saw bones next to like a pit right near where some of the remains were found on the Daybell property. And then Lori and Chad to this day maintain their innocence. The trial is set for 2021 currently, right now. Nobody has been charged in the kid's death. That's, like, this whole case, guys, this whole case. You know, 
these these two cases really they got to me. You know, there's disappearances. There's past spouse death that gets relooked at. It's just it's a lot. And with Drew, I 100 percent you know like he's he is a he's a killer, stone cold killer. There's recordings of him trying to set up a premeditated murder, and but he lives in delusion. Also, is very aware of what he's doing, but I believe he thinks that if something is gone, be it he erases it by murder, you know, something, then it doesn't matter, it didn't exist, or it doesn't exist in his world anymore. But then you got Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow and Alex Cox. Like, Chad and Lori genuinely believe their beliefs, as they've stated, or maybe, maybe... They really are these people that have cooked this up, saying they believe it so they can plead insanity. But, I don't know, Chad wrote a lot of those books, obviously. But then, you know, what do they think? Do they think the same thing that Drew did? That they could just... Excuse me, I'm so sorry, I was burping. That they could just kill? And they'd be, it'd be okay? They could just continue like, oh, it's not here. Um, nothing happened. Like, it's... The cases are just, they're, they're, yeah, it's, um, so, I hope you guys can see why I said to me these seem connected. There's disappearances and spousal murder, there's cheating, affairs, lots of marriages, you know, they seemed correlated to me. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I can't wait to tell you more Thanks for sticking around and enjoying it, enjoying all of them. You guys, you guys are great. I, I've been getting stories sent in for me to share on here about paranormal, about crime, and like true crime that you guys know, things in your area. I love it. I really appreciate it. If you guys would love like to be involved, keep doing that. I'm going to put the first podcast together of all of your guys' stories and the next I want to say a month or so. So if you guys have stories, send them to me on what the actual EFF harmony at gmail.com or you can go to what the actual EFF official on Instagram. Follow and send a message. Let me know your story. What true crime do you know of? What happened in your small town? Do you have a paranormal encounter? Or I don't know. Let's let's throw some funny things in there. Give me some funny stuff. I even would like to hear some conspiracy theories, some dark theories, movie theories. Just give me what you got, you know? I love this stuff. This is what what the actual F is all about. All right, guys. Have a wonderful day. Sorry for taking up so much of your time. I love you guys. Stay safe.